0: I registered for the classes on the first day. The first thing the instructor said was, you need to be 21 years old to get your license. So there goes that. Fast forward, I continued about my life. I got married, and on my 21st birthday, I got my license. I was managing a small clinic was Message 12 Square, and I had a great relationship with the doctors there. They were growing, they were opening other clinics and I saw my future as being the uh, director of many clinics, because that's how my career started with management and I thought this is where this is going. But on my 21st birthday, I got my real estate license and I came to work for Century 21. Realty.
1: Welcome to the Create Investor podcast. Podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez, and on today's episode, I have Oralia Herrera from Chicago. Now, Oralia isn't originally from Chicago; she's from a little town right outside of Durango, Mexico. Now, this is the story of how her family came to the U.S. to pursue the American dream, and she met a mentor at a very early age, who was essentially her landlord at first, that mentor showed her the power of real estate. Fast forward to today, and Oralia has built an empire comprised of lots of commercial real estate and a brokerage office. This is the story of how this little girl from Mexico found the American dream through real estate, and how she's teaching other people to do the same. Oh, and by the way, You're going to have to forgive me on the audio. I was at a conference in Miami and I heard her story and I knew I needed to interview her for our grid podcast. So we're at a little coffee shop in Miami. It's a little rough around the edges when it comes to the audio, but I know that her story is gonna land in your heart and it's going to expand your mind. What's up, Grid Talk? Hey, I'm pumped because today I have Oralia Herrera with me today on grid talk we're in beautiful Miami you know we just got done with an Arab conference and I figured why don't we just have some coffee right and talk a little bit about your journey your story because I've been fascinated in learning all of it and I've gotten bits and pieces and I always have questions and so I'm like well let's let's grab some coffee and just talk right just
0: have a good time
1: so thanks for coming
0: I appreciate oh, it thank you for the invite I yeah. love the idea of spending some time with you find you very interesting myself, though. So <laughs> yeah. it's a great time for us to bond and get together and for sure. uh, learn a little more about each other.
1: So we're just going to have coffee, like two friends, and we're just going to talk shop, right? So I'm curious, right, you and I were talking right before this that you're from a little town outside of Durango, Mexico, and you came here when you were eight, right? You came to the States when you were eight years old. Yes. And you ended up in Chicago, right? Correct. So let's kind of start there, right? So how did that come? It sounds like your family had little businesses in Durango, right? Well, tell me a little bit about the businesses.
0: My father had a grocery store in town. It was the largest grocery store in town. and Now, mind you, it's a small town, so a small grocery Really small? Really small, <laughs> small grocery store. What well, we did have the tortilla factory, what they called the tortilla factory. It was just a machine that made tortillas for all of the town. And some of the surrounding towns. So he had the patent for that, and that's yeah. the way we made a living in the town. He also supplied the uh, petroleum. You know, back in the day, they needed petroleum with the homes. And I can say that for the standards of the town, we were considered middle class or upper middle class. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were hardworking families. So. We're always able to provide. But he had a bigger dream for his family. He had the American dream. He came back and forth from the States to Mexico. And one day he was able to get visas for the whole family. It was that telegram, believe it or not. <laughs> it was not a phone call. We didn't have a phone at the village. So it was that telegram saying, Hey, Maria, pick up the kids. I've sold the grocery store. I've sold everything. we were coming to the states. So meet me at the capital, Durango City, on this date. And before you knew it, my mom had us all ready packed and in Durango. All dressed up, you see. All dressed that. up. I was laughing because you know she thought that coming to United States was obviously our dream, right? Yeah. It's a big deal, so. She called the seamstress, which happens to be her right. godmother, and says, I need suits for all of the kids and everybody. So she pressed us off. And before you knew it, we were in Durango and in the States. That's awesome. Yeah. What a
1: great story. So you end up in Chicago. Yes. Right? And let's pick up from there because it sounds like, how big is your family, by the way?
0: So I have five siblings and my mother. One, the eldest was already married, so he was up with his wife. It was five of us, my mother and my father. So it's seven of us.
1: Seven? And you said it was like a little place. We just, yes,
0: yeah. it was a tiny in Hilton. We lived in a three-bedroom. In a three-bedroom apartment for seven of us. But my father was not comfortable with the uh, setting and the ambience there for us. He wanted to move us to the suburbs. The only way nobody was gonna take in a seven a family of seven in a two-bedroom. But his nephew had a building. We call it a two-unit or three-unit apartment building. I believe it was a three-unit, yes, a three-unit apartment building. And what he did is he said, listen, Uncle, you can move all of the family into this two-bedroom apartment building until we figure things out. Maybe I can vacate the two offices above you and give you a four-bedroom. And that's what we did. He moved us all to the two-bedroom apartment. I remember we had one room for the girls, which was my three sisters, and then my parents, my little sister and I slept in the uh, second bedroom, so that's how it went until we were able to move to a bigger unit.
1: So tell me about that, right? Because you started sharing with me, and then I was like, "Stop! This is exactly what I want to." Learn. You started sharing with me a little bit about the story. Of it sounds like really we're kind of like your business partner might have entered at some point serendipitously, right? Yes. But you were young,
0: right? Yes, I was very young. I remember specifically the day that I saw a building burn right across the street from us. That building got rehab into a four beautiful four completely burned, so they rehabbed it completely into a four bedroom on the first floor, and then two bedroom apartments on the second floor. That was our opportunity. My parents went and called the number that was for rent, and this building was owned by a gentleman named Tom Pustaples with a partner. His partner's name was Louis. And I was telling you that I love when TK tells the story because that's Tom Costopoulos. Tom I call him TK okay. for short. So when TK tells the story, he says that Louis, this area was—it's near the O'Hare international airport—and a lot of stewardess, a lot of pilots would have. There were even some studios there that they would rent in the area and near college. So it was somewhat of a good community. Louis started interviewing for the tenants, and he wanted a professor from. Loyola or somebody from the college, and TK started interviewing himself, and it just happened to be the time to stop. It where TK got that call with my parents, and him and Louis discussed the plan to who to give the apartment to. And Louis is a very old-fashioned Italian, clean person, very humble, very sweet. And he says, "You know what? These family that wanted across the street, you want to give it to them? It's a whole bunch. It's a couple with a whole bunch of Mexicans with a whole bunch of kids." you want to give it to him? He said, Tom says, well, we could see them. They're across the street. Let's go see the way they live. So Louis comes in and it wasn't even Tom that came in to visit the the unit where we live. And he was very impressed with my mom's housekeeping skills Mm -hmm. and the organization and the way she handled all these kids. And he said, Tom, I went to see the apartment where the other ones live. And I went to see the family you want to give it to. And now I'm convinced that that's done. They're very clean. They're very neat. They're going to not destroy newly rehabbed building that we have. Wow. So that's how it ended up. So we got the four-bedroom apartment owned by Tom to stop it. And,
1: and what an amazing I actually got a little goosebumps because, like, that one phone call and your mom's housekeeping skills kind of set, like, a trajectory, right? You start thinking about, like, things that occur in your life
0: that are just serendipitous, right? So, okay, you tell them. So, I became the interpreter for my mom. My father was at work, my older sisters were at work, and I was in school. I became almost fluent in six months in English. So, I became the official interpreter for the family. Eight, eight years old? Yeah. Okay. Yes. okay. Yes. yes. I became the official interpreter for the family, and every time Tom had a question or they came for the rent, it would be... You know, me giving it to him or explaining that something was wrong. And that relationship stayed for many years. Later in life, Tom and Louie decided that they wanted to sell the building. And I think that this is where I got impacted with real estate. Because I remember specifically having this conversation. I even remember where we were. And Louie comes to the door and they tell my mother that the building is going to go out for sale. That they love us there and that they want us to keep the building. So I'm interpreting for my mother, and my mom says, Ask him how much he wants for the building. So he said, 105,000. That's what we want. My mother said, Tell him, thank you. And he said, Are you sure? And my mom says, Yes, thank you. Louis and Tom walk away, and my mom says, 105,000. Where am I going to find 105,000 to buy this building? I barely have 20 in the bank. I barely have 20000 in the bank. How am I going to find So he says, We'll see. Ironically, somebody in the same area buys it, Don Lupe. And we find out through Don Lupe that now we have to vacate the four bedroom apartment building and go to the two two bedrooms upstairs. Upstairs. Because upstairs. Because he wants us a cent, right? Like he knows that my mom's garden flowers in the garden, that it's, it's mm. impeccable, and that this building just looks amazing. So we should keep us. And he says, You know, I'll give you the two upstairs, and but I want the good unit for me. And my family in speaking with him we find out that the lupe buys this building fha with seven thousand dollars and his mortgage payment with our rent was going to be less than the rent that we were paying. that changed my way of thinking from that day by that time i'm 1450, i call tom and i say hey i want to know how this is done. I want to know why we weren't told or, you know, how does this happen? How are you the owner of this property? How the Luca becomes the owner of this property? And he says, you know, how old are you? And well, he says, come and visit. We'll revisit this when you're a little older. At the age of 18, I call him again, I'm 18, and I'm going to Triton college at night. And he says, well, take the real estate classes. If you're going to Triton college, you can continue. What are you going for? Well, I want to become a, a business person, and I don't even know what I want, but I think probably business administration, international business administration is what I'm going to go for. He says, well, you can do that too, but take the classes. I registered for the classes on the first day. The first thing the instructor said was, You need to be 21 years old to get your license so there goes that fast forward i continued about my life i got married and on my 21st birthday i got my license i was managing a small clinic it was messes 12 square and i had a great relationship with the doctors there they were growing. They were opening other clinics, and I saw my future as being the uh, director of many clinics because that's how my career started with management. And I thought this is where this is going. But on my 21st birthday, I got my real estate license, and I came to work for Century 21 TK Realty.
1: Hmm. So that was TK. That
0: was TK's company. Company. Yes. Okay. Century 21 TK was owned, founded, and owned by Tom Kostopoulos and Stella Kostopoulos. <laughs> okay. Husband wife wonderful people obviously they've touched my life and every time i talk about them i get a little emotional because tk and stella opened a lot of doors for me i came in and i started working for them and i was the young girl with the beat up car all mercedes is parked in the driveway <laughs> you know he had 45 agents forty-five, fifty agents and i was the new little latina Trying to make it and trying to learn from all of these big successful real estates. I took it to heart and I went in there like an opportunity and if I saw that office needed some cleaning, I would clean the office while I was doing nothing other than learning from DK. DK gave me a big fat phone book and he says, this is how you start. Every day you come here, it's like a punch clock. This is your job. This is your business, but I'm not going to supervise you. You come in and you call these numbers until you finish the book. 10 calls a day. And he did the first ones with me. Okay. So then he says, You feel more comfortable in Spanish? And he said, Yes. He says, Okay, then do them in Spanish. There's plenty of Spanish. Like look for the Spanish last name and start calling. Mm. You know, just start calling that. And I did. I started calling and he made me come to floor time and I did floor time and I did everything TK told me. I had my first sale. He helped me write my first contract and I developed quickly, I would say, with a couple of clients here and there. And I helped Edith and Walter Perez, were my first clients and they came from a big factory where I started selling everybody in the factory to the point where the foreman wanted to meet me and says who is this this? (laughs) everybody's talking about in the lunch room and you know I made mistakes with my first contract I wrote on my own I forgot to put in the window treatments and Edith fell in love with those window treatments so when I go for my final walkthrough they're gone they're gone so my first commission check went to buy Window treatments treatment. you did the right thing. When to buy window treatments because it was my inability to put them there, it was my mistake. So I wanted to get her to the effect. I went and asked the agent, the listing agent, where those window treatments were from. She told me they were from JCPenney. We went to JCPenney, and we bought them again, and Edith had her winter days. That's how I started. Fast forward three, four years. Stella and Tom were always vacationing alone. He would go to Greece for two weeks, or Stella would go to Greece for two weeks. They're Greek. They're Greek, Greek, Stella would go to Greece for two weeks, and then Tom would join for a week. Stella would go with the kids, and maybe... They would overlap a week or so, but no more than that. One of them had to come and take care of the office and the other. And it just started where I was kind of helping them with the office. And so one day he says, hey, we have an event in Greece. There's a wedding. Stella's niece is getting married. We're going to have to be gone, both of us, for 10 days. I'm going to sign a whole bunch of checks, blank checks, and I'm going to teach you how to pay the agent and how to get the office going. You're gonna hang out with me for a couple of days. I'm gonna bring Mickey O'Malley, who's retired managing broker. We need to have a managing broker. She's going to come in and she's going to handle all of the managing of the broker. But You're going to handle the pain of the agents, making sure that the office is open, making sure everything's done. So when he handed me that key to TK, oh my gosh, I made sure I was there half an hour before TK opened and I was the last one leaving and that the answering machine was put and I took care of it like it was Sure, right? Sure. I ran out of checks. <laughs> he signed a lot of checks, but there was it was the summer and a lot of transactions yeah. were happening. So the hours shift and the agent wanted to get paid. And then I remember calling TK and I'm like, for him, it was like four o'clock in the morning. And I didn't understand the, you know, the time difference. I called him and I said, TK, I have to pay Lori Fishner and I don't have a check. I ran out of checks and there's about three or four more closes coming this week. What am I going to do? So he said, don't worry, relax. Study my signature. Go to a room. Study my signature <laughs> and sign the checks. Oh my gosh! Sign the checks. How old are you, by the way? Twenty-one. Well, by this time I was probably twenty-three. Sign the checks. So I did that. I signed the checks. He came back. He said, "You did a great job." And that became a frequent. I was managing the office, I was helping TK, and we became family. Mm. You know, they trusted me. I admired and thanked them for every opportunity they gave me. They introduced me to the commercial real estate. And then they became my mentors. Mm. I was living in... And Stella sold me my first home at the age of 18. Okay. I neglected to say that. At the age of 18, I bought my first... Stella home. is his wife? His wife. Okay. okay. She sold me my first home at the age of 18. Okay. $85,000 and eight. And remember, now I knew how Don Lupe became a homeowner.
1: That's right. So... You were like, oh, I can use leverage I, in a mortgage. Yes, yeah. yeah. okay.
0: and mom had twenty thousand. I had nothing, but my mom had twenty thousand. So if my mom gave me five thousand dollars, I could own this, right? Okay. So we made it happen. Sorry, I went back and forth, but then at that little home, I was selling every home I sold was nicer than the one I lived in. So I went and said to TK, hey TK, I'm ready to sell my house and go to the next one. And he says, no. We're going to sit down and have a conversation. You're going to have a better home when your residual income pays for the better home. I don't want you to become a slave to a mortgage. Mm. You're doing good. You're saving money. I'm not sure that you want to jump you're not there yet. Let's talk. So he introduced me to the multi-levels again. And he says, What if you refinance your single family where you're at, take some capital out, and buy a four-unit, a three-unit. And I said, Yes, I want to buy where I started. The first building I buy is gonna be in the jungle. <laughs> That's what they call it. <laughs> I am a jungle girl, and my first investment is going to be in the jungle. Okay. I am going back to the jungle. So I did. My first four-unit apartment building was 3010 Bright. You
1: still remember the Of
0: course. Of course. 3010 Bright, and it was a a four-unit apartment building. It was an estate that needed a lot of work. We did it. My husband and I went. We cleaned a lot of toilets. We painted a lot of buildings. We carpeted. We did everything. We rented it, and that unit gave me a residual income from day one. It was three $400, but it was three $400 a month. Now that it was fixed and I understood the game plan, I went to TK and I said, hey, TK, two years later, the buildings around my area are selling for sixty and 70000 more. more because it's time to go higher. Now you'd trade that four unit for a six unit closer to the office, closer to home, and that's what we did. I said, no, 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 but wait, I want a house. Uh, and I have 70000 on that building, and I have some equity on my single-family home, and I'm not liking my house. So every home I sell is better than mine again. He says, no, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with your house. You're going to take that money. You're going to trade it for a six unit. When the six unit gives you enough residual income to pay for a mortgage, then you go to a new one. I'm like, okay, here we go again. I'm still stuck in my little gray house. Mm-hmm. And we bought a six unit. The six unit cap at 8%. A few years later, we do not sell the six unit. We refinance. We take the capital out and we buy a 12 unit. Once I bought the 12 unit, there was enough residual income for me to have the nicer home.
1: Because it paid for the mortgage of the new home? Is that what you wanted to do?
0: Okay, that was the first level. The first level is that you don't work to pay your mortgage. You get residual income. For the things you want, right? Okay. So whatever you are working for, I was still being successful, I was still selling homes, but that became my saving capital, my investment capital. It was never about bigger, better, right? Sure. You know, we needed to get the foundation of your yeah. business plan. Make sure that we made little steps, but secure baby steps to where the direction I wanted to go. Well, that 12 unit was cash flowing very nicely by this time. I understand a little more and I realize that I am on an unincorporated huge lot and I can resubdivide this lot into two different parcels and build, build brand new. So that's exactly what I did. Yeah. And I made the legal description, Herrera's resubdivision of lot one and two. How did
1: you find that? Did it come to you from just doing the business like now you saw
0: it? Or? Everything starts with us seeing what TK and Stella do. And when I was ready to go. That conversation in the morning that I said I'm ready to go buy a bigger home. He was resubdividing some parcels for a builder, and he was looking at that. And I saw him when he was doing. his like, and then I said, "TK, I can do the same." I can resubdivide my lot and have two lots. It's a big lot. And he says yes, but then you have to annex. You are You can annex into the village of Addison. And yes, maybe you'll have to go in front of the board and see if and I did. He can't help me go in front of the board. We resubdivided and we built a twenty eight hundred square foot white brick home. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Was that your home? That was my home. That was my home. Was
1: this off of the 12-unit building? Was that the lot that was attached? Over no, to the different, that was a
0: first little home. Remember my $85,000 yep. single-family home? Oh, that had the lot. That had a big lot that I subdivided. Oh, wow. wow. So one of the lots has a gray little home for the 85000 So that $85,000 investment gave me this great house with the single family that can become a rental property. I can sell it. I can do whatever with this one. And now I have a vacant lot that I can build on. And that's exactly what I did. I built a twenty eight hundred square foot home there and I lived there for eleven years. Okay. Until I built my next in between I kept growing, I kept leveraging and buying more investments. We started with twelve units and at one point we had about a 120 doors. All my multi units.
1: When you say we, yeah. was it you? Was and it you or you and your husband? Me and my own? husband. Okay, yeah. Me and my husband. So there's no partners at that
0: case. time there were no partners at all. But meanwhile, I'm still learning from TKs. And you're still hustling as an agent? And I'm still hustling. Yeah, an agent, and yeah. my husband's still working for Trans Builders, and he's managing those properties. Oh, and so he was on the building side? He was managing. He okay. was managing Trans Builders. He was managing a commercial property. Okay. He was managing commercial property. He was okay. the only employee in Illinois. Trans Builders were out of uh, New Jersey, and then they had their office in Ohio, and Reggie was getting to see all the office buildings, all of the commercial aspect of it, and I was seeing the residential at that time. He was not a real estate agent. He was an employee of Transcon Builders. Okay. Meanwhile, I'm seeing TK putting partnerships together. And him and a couple of Greek friends that grab coffee in the morning are discussing blueprints and numbers on a $30 million shopping center, on a $20 million shopping center, and how they're going to buy this one. And if they put a partnership of five of them or six of them or eight of them, they bring the money together and then they buy it and they're doing caps and partnerships agreements and I'm like that's impressive but tk is at a different scale right i can continue doing what i'm doing and i'm comfortable now i have enough residual income where everything's paying for itself comfortable living i'm not paying my mortgage and for me since the age of 25 let's say i never paid for a mortgage i tell myself because my tenants did mm-hmm. right the income from from my tenants wow. and my residual income were paying my mortgage so whatever i produce was investment capital work, growing capital work, my husband and I putting together and brainstorming, how can we pick up another 12 units, where can we go from here? One morning, I come into TK, and he says, hey, do you want to go in on this shopping center? And he tells me the number on that shopping center, I said, no, no, I can't. He says, don't answer me now, think about it, it's this many of us and you can come in if you want. No. I went home and told Reggie about it, my husband. And I didn't sleep that night thinking, what if that whole shopping center becomes vacant? And what if this? They have more of a cushion. And that, the number, the million number, just threw me away. And I'm like, no, I can't. So I came back the next morning and I said, TK, thank you, but no thank you. I'm just not there. You've inspired me. I said, I will get there one day. I'm just not there now. I remember specifically what he said. He says, you're there financially you're just not their mentor. Mm. Oh
1: my god. <laughs> yes. I I just goosebumps, This is amazing. Yes. What an amazing mentor.
0: Yes. He okay. said you're there financially. You're just not their mental. We kept working at it and shortly soon after I put my old partnership mm-hmm. with two of us and we buy an eleven thousand square foot small retail plaza. Okay. We came in with half a million each, I think. To the table and it was capping beautifully. It was doing great. And then what happened, 208 comes in and the market crashes. Oh, 2008. 2008. Okay, it
1: comes in let me ask you a question. Was the 500,000, did you refi anything to do it or it was no, just no, cash no, that no. you
0: had? No, for the 500,000, we had about 200,000 and the 300 came from the equity we had on our home. By this mm-hmm. time, in between this, I had built a 5,000 square foot home. Got it. I brought my mom to live with me. My kids were growing and I wanted to be in a specific school district. I had that conversation with DK and I said, DK, I'm gonna build again. I have X amount of equity on the home I built. Now you gotta think about it. I had a free lot and I general my own 2,800 square foot. So I have plenty of equity. on that one. Where I went into another one with a comfortable mortgage payment again. And again, that mortgage payment was not coming out of my sale. It was, being, sale. Paid by it by was the- being paid by this time we had the 100 doors. So it's being paid by the, uh, by the real estate.
1: Can I ask you a question? Yes. The 100 doors, what kind of cash flow was that producing at the time? Because I know that owning multifamily costs a lot, right? Your operating costs on that can be quite expensive.
0: So we always... Looked at a, at least a six to an eight cap okay. on every investment. Okay. We had one that was capping at 10%. Well, it was Reggie's ugly duckling, I called it. <laughs> I was embarrassed to say that that one was mine. Okay. And every time we had this conversation about Green Oaks, he would say, Hey, you can call it whatever you want. Look at your Pinsdale property, an yeah. echo, and you have elite expenses, and you're capping at seven, six, or seven percent. My green oaks in Addison is capping at 10%. So yes, it's a little rough. Yes, maybe it's not kept as nicely. My lawns are being played on and it's not majestic. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, my green oaks, we called it, it was both of us, but he managed some of the manage. My green oaks, my not so elite, pays for the repairs of your echo when it needs it, right? (laughs) So, So you have to think of what makes financial sense. Not fall in love with the property. But what really is going to sure. give you more, more gains? Yeah, more cash flow. More cash flow. Yeah. And that's what we did. Okay. So my Echo had less capital. The other two or three that we had, the 12 units, were making more financial sense. So I didn't want to get rid of my baby. Mm-hmm. Echo was beautiful. It was, it, was in Hinsdale. it was like a jewel. It was like yeah. a jewel. Yeah. I mean, I could, a Lego of I own in Hinsdale. Like, uh, Oralia has an 18-unit in Hinsdale. You know that was the wrong thing. So when we sat down and did the numbers, the first one to go was Echo. Was
1: this in 2008?
0: This was before we bought oh, it sure. in 2005. Got it. We Got bought it. it. So we sold Echo to buy the shopping center. Got it. Okay. And we first took the line of credit. Let's go back. Yeah, we took a line of credit on Echo for 300000 So we had a $300,000 refi or line of credit on Echo to be able to buy and 200000 that we had sitting at the bank to buy the $3 million strip shopping center. Bank Financial gave me that.
1: So money. that was a $3 million purchase. That was a $3 million. Okay. million dollar purchase. So that was now you were like, now you'd gotten there mentally. Now, yeah. no, because
0: Tom's numbers were in the oh, 20s. And, okay, got it. You got know, got so got I'm starting from, I'm still thinking. Short-sighted. I'm still thinking. No, no, no. Three million is not thirty million. Well, it would have taken the same effort. Think about it. You buy a twenty million dollar property. I would have gone in with the same five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So the same investment with his partnership. It took the same effort for me to own a three million dollar property than for TK to own a twenty million dollar property. You got it. And it gets better. It was four partners. It spreads the risk. So it spreads the risk. It was four partners, and then I started doing my numbers. I'm like, hold on, four partners. CK was the listing and selling agent of that property, so he took two hundred and fifty thousand from the sale and listing to be able to have the. And that's how he became partners with a lot of these big yep. buildings. Yep. He was buying them, putting in his commission and maybe a little bit out of pocket. And then he was moving on to the next one. Yes, TK did more than all of the partners. And that's where I tell the agents, you have to be willing to be the managing partner yes. to be able to do all of that. Because the other partners were busy, they were hotel owners, they were restaurant owners, they were banquet hall owners, and they had their business. And they didn't have the knowledge of getting the tenant, of producing the lease, of going after the rents or making the... Called. They had monthly meetings. I would see them all the time. Having, I mean, or sure whenever they were discussing financials, they would grab coffee at a restaurant and discuss where they were and what improvements were going to be done. But the everyday operations was time to stop this. And I learned from that. I knew that I was. I had to be that for my partners. Mm-hmm. Right. So go back. So you bought this three million dollar. Right. Three hundred thousand dollar
1: equity line. Two hundred thousand came from your cash. You bought this three million. And then you said 2008 happened.
0: Yes. Let me just tell you a a little bit about my partner in that property. So my partner in that property, I had sold him an 18 unit. He was a couple dear friends of mine. Hilton and Rodrigo were sharp investors. They went and get the wheels on. He kept saying, oh, a <laughs> And he bought a six unit and oh my God, let's go for the 12 unit. So he kept growing his portfolio on his side and I kept growing mine. So I went to sell him that $3 million property. I said, you guys are ready for a $3 million strip company. Trip trip, let's do it together. So we ventured together. He came in with half a million, I came in with half a million, and that was it. That was the story of it. Going forward, I knew that putting a partnership together had to be with the right people. In 2008, we took a step backward 60% of the shopping center was vacant. And Rigo and Nilsa said, hold on, I'm doing just fine with my residential units. They're all producing, my rents are going up, and the retail's not for me. So I took over. Oh, shoot. Yes, so I took over. You had to buy them out? Yes, I took over. And I said, I'm good for my word. I took over. I understand that you have to walk out. You walk out. This is what I can do, and I'll go forward from here. So that led me to sell a couple more buildings, pay down the mortgage and struggle until that made a function. Franciscan Plaza, is, it's the strip shop that I'm talking about. It's capping yeah. beautifully yeah. now. It's probably my easy retirement. And that just led to opening doors. Then you start diversifying. And you're saying, okay, well, I have a friend that I helped growing. she has a daycare. She's doing phenomenally at the daycare. I want to help her grow into multi units, no multi unit not, her, but strip shopping center. She can now buy the strip shopping center, put her business there, and rent the other units. And then this is how it evolved. It's so you formed a
1: partnership with her?
0: No, I first sold her. Okay. Sold so her her first. I went and got the in front of the board got the rezoning done for her, signed her up with the financing, helped her and mentored her, and we did this with many different clients, right? Wow. Because what was given to me, I'm now preaching to you You're passing me. it on. I'm you passing know. it on. So on my first interview with the client, I planned the seat. It's not always the right time for them. Maybe they're not going to go into a two unit instead of a single family home, but I explained to them that the very first time you buy a multi-unit, You can use it, four units or less. You can live in one for one year and use the income from the others to qualify for more and pay for itself. And then in a year, you can revisit where you are, and if you're ready to go into a single-family house or a townhouse, start from the ground up. And if you do that to enough people, some of them, you plant the seed. Sometimes it takes years for them to come back and say, I'm sure. ready for my two unit or I'm ready now. But that's the same logic that was taught to me, I talked to all my uh, clients everybody. back in You're a wealth builder. Everybody. You're a wealth builder. To You're, everybody.
1: You create legacy and wealth for people. Amazing.
0: To everybody. So there's the Estela Ibarras, there's the Samina and Ali Mohammed. There's all of my clients mm. that have jumped on this Mindset. I pride myself in saying that I have a client with a cousin, Fulencio and Reina Duarte, who just retired in Boca Raton. They sold their 46 units in Chicago and they're living. The life. <laughs> <laughs> That's they, awesome. They're living the life, not yeah. only for themselves but for their kids. They gave a great education for the kids. Prudencio stopped working, Reina's continuing working in their home, and they are still connected. They're now buying, rehabbing a eight hundred thousand dollar home in Boca Raton for him to keep himself. Yeah, you're busy, busy, To keep you're busy, keep so busy. Yeah. and he's calling me with questions about it, and. When he interviewed the real estate agents, what do I think about this? And I can't have it any other way. I tell you what I tell my agents in the office. This is the mindset that TK has. TK's a small boutique with a few agents, but I'm not concerned about growing huge. I'm concerned about them following TK's footsteps and one day creating a legacy for generations. I've seen it firsthand with him. So
1: let's bring this up to speed because... Today, what does your world look like? Today, I can
0: say that if I don't sell a house in a year, or Reggie doesn't sell a house in a year, I can honestly say that our lifestyle does not change. We have enough residual income. We have twenty to twenty-two thousand residual income a month. That's
1: amazing.
0: And if twenty and twenty-two thousand a month residual income does not satisfy your living your living expenses, I've done something wrong with my life, right? Yeah. So. We have hardly no debt. We've switched from growing to building equity. We're at a stage in our lives where I think we have two mortgages.
1: And everything else? Everything
0: else is owned, free and clear. Okay. And my hope is that one day I can just focus on what I'm doing, helping others in my office develop and maintaining my lifestyle. Maybe retiring. My next acquisition would probably be a beach destination. Okay. You know, for a second home. You're running the office now? I'm running the office. So TK retired. Okay. TK retired, and his kids are very well set. He he has two attorneys, and the youngest went into the uh, grocery store business. He owns a grocery store and a restaurant. He's doing very good. TK still helps them Mm -hmm. mentally, and I think it's more than financially, mentally. He guides them, just the way he does with me still. And I took over TK. How big is your office? The office is small. We have 25 agents. We do an average of 230 transactions a year, nothing big. I'm still the top producer in the office. So you're now an
1: owner-producer, so you're still in the game selling. What keeps you in
0: the game selling? You know what? Because now you've built these relationships. You have a database of 400 people, and it becomes an addiction for you to help them, guide them. There's no more satisfaction. You can't put a price to what you're doing with these people than the relationships that you've created. Helping Sandra maybe create a chain for her. For her daycare, helping somebody else from the ground up start building their portfolio. Do you? What's your percentage
1: of residential versus commercial?
0: I would say that now I have about seventy thirty. Seventy percent is still the residential, four units or less, and then my thirty is the commercial.
1: And it sounds like you probably had a lot of people refer people to you and say, "Hey, if you want to build wealth." Go talk to Aralia, and she'll kind of walk me through her system, her
0: process.
1: Yes, I would imagine indirectly. They don't use those words. Yes, but. yes.
0: So 99.9% of my business is referral. As a matter of fact, I choose to be by referral I don't advertise. I've never paid for a lead. If you see me, I'm not in existence in social media. Basically, mine is all referral. Basically, they come and say. I've been told that you're really busy, and that you are gonna give me your time when you can, and I'll wait if I need to. But I want to deal with you. Mm. I have a transaction coordinator and an assistant for my team. That's it. My husband has his own team. Okay, He's, he goes solo, and he produces just as many transactions as I do. Okay, that's what's worked for me. Are you the
1: managing broker? Yes. Okay, so you're the managing broker of the office, and you handle your own transactions, and you're doing the management of all your assets.
0: Well, not rich. Really. Okay. The management of our assets, Reggie manages three quarters of it. I manage the one quarter. I only manage Franciscan Plaza and 622 Iowa. Got it. It's 622 Iowa is a six-unit apartment building, and that's my baby. It's, again, emotional attachment sure. to that one. And then Franciscan Plaza. Those are the two that I manage, Reggie manages everything else. Okay. Including the office where we're at. In the office, the office, that, the building where our office is at, it's owned still by TK and us, fifty-fifty. Oh, very cool. So TK and I own that office and a lot behind us and the home behind that lot. Because at one point he wanted to redevelop that whole home.
1: So interesting. And you said TK is in his 80s now? Is yes. that
0: right? Yes, okay. early
1: 80s. And he still loves playing the game, right? But he's like, I guess, retiring?
0: Yes. Retir- TK's retired. TK's yeah. retired. So for TK, retirement means getting up in the morning, grabbing coffee with his friends and partners, and then driving by all of his properties, and then coming home, reading a book, hanging out with Stella or the grandkids, and then maybe making an afternoon round to the grocery store or the restaurant, and then just hearing Greek music. (laughs) He travels a lot. Before pandemic, he, um, he travels all over the world, and he does a lot of beautiful things. He does charity. He does... Mentoring at some level, and he's educating.
1: How long have you been with him?
0: 32 years. I started on my 21st birthday at TK, and I'm 53 today. So do the math.
1: Okay. That's <laughs> awesome. That's amazing. What an amazing journey and story. So what does your next 10 years look like? Have you thought about that? What you want your 10 years to look like? Yes.
0: My 10 years, 10 years. look like I will do what TK did with me. I will bring on somebody, and I think I have that somebody that's going to own part of TK. It might be one or two people in my office that become my partners, and they will become the Oralias in TK's life.
1: They're the next
0: generation. They're the next generation. That's so cool. I think TK, I will always honor TK. TK will always be Century 21 TK. A lot of people have asked, are you going to change the name? I said, never. TK will always be TK. (laughs) TK. I love, I love that. And do you have kids? I do. Are they in
1: the business or not in the business?
0: So, they're not in the business yet because I wanted them. Okay. They've been interested somewhat. Two of them have been somewhat interested, but my eldest is um, manages a dental hospital for huge implants, you know, face surgeries. He's very good. He's my intellect, I tell him. He's great at what he does, and he's very content with it. I think he's somewhat interested in getting his tongue wet with real estate, and sometimes when he sees me a little overwhelmed, he says, Mom, you know, I'm thinking about maybe just getting my license to kind of help, but I wanted him to go off his way to see his career and- he sold. I didn't want to influence him and make him sure. become me. Alex, my middle one, is a finance major. And he works for US Bank as a financial analyst. He's liking real estate. He has his real estate license. Okay. And he's the one that covers me when I'm on vacation or when he'll take care of my clients, he'll do a showing for me, he'll open a door for a closing without leaving focus on. His main thing, the financial analyst. How old are they? was 33. Alex is 30. And my youngest is 25. My youngest is a teacher. Okay. She teaches in a private school and she teaches Spanish. It's a Spanish emerging school. Oh, yeah. I Yes. And all of it is in Spanish, right? Their mission or their logo is that make your child fluent in Spanish in two years. I need that. You know what? (laughs) I'm going to tell you something. Mm -hmm. That is, I think, my next, where my focus goes there, I think Christina will open her Spanish immersion school in the next 10 years. Her all.
1: And you'll help her with Finance.
0: setting it? Yeah. Financially. Oh, that's so cool. That's I so think cool. I'll help her financially set it. I think that that's her legacy. I think that that's her passion. And she's very good at what she does. She's only been doing it for two years. And she's already the owner's right hand. And Pilar knows this. You know, we this is no secret. Pilar told her that she doesn't see Christy as competition. Christy has been upfront with her and told her that, mind me, I will learn as much as I can. I'll help you as much as I can. And then I will follow your footsteps at one point, my goal would be to open my own school. This is where the nursery, the daycare, yeah, and the all that experience in outcomes, and her, yeah. comes in and our lives. And I have a very good relationship with Sandra, and Sandra's ready to do this with us. And I say, Look, I have no idea about managing a school or anything. So she says, Look, we're going to do it together. I bring the management to it, your daughter brings the curriculum, and you bring the business sense to it. So we're a good team. I think I think this is where this is going with Christy. With Adriel, I like to get him a little more involved in managing the properties and having them build their own portfolio. If, I've said it many times, if I give them the fish and not teach them how to fish.
1: It's so interesting because I think our daughter, who's 19, she'll be 19 coming up, saw how much mom and dad worked. And she was like, I want to do something different. But I think now she's seeing the benefits of that work over the last 20 years. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see where her mind is 10 years from now, right? But I know that this is her discovery to figure out where does she fit in the ecosystem of the world. And you got to let them do that. Okay, so what advice, I'm just curious, would you give somebody who wants to follow a similar path? I call this the income flip, by the way, right? Where you take this earned income and then you start flipping the income so that it becomes passive income over time. And I've learned, I love the level, right? Like, hey, level one was make sure that your passive income pays for your mortgage before you decide to go splurge on a bigger house, right? Wow, what a great piece of advice on that. Are there any other levels, you know, or have you thought about that? How to teach somebody that?
0: So I think that we need to educate them from the first visit, like I explained to you. And I think we start with maybe somebody that's coming in to oh to buy a condo. And then when they come back to me and say, Oralia, I've outgrown my condo. I need to go buy a salad and go buy a house. My mindset, is still in me that I'm like, okay, why don't we have a midi first before I come and do the market analysis? And then rigidically plan. We make a, a three or a five, a 10-year goal plan on our first visit. And then I revisit and I say, what if... We don't sell the condo. Let's look at the condo regulations. Are we able to rent this condo? And will this condo be self-sufficient at the beginning? And then do you have enough money to go buy a single-family home? Or is this condo going to give you residual income already? Are the rents bigger than your mortgage? And are you able to leave the condo as a rental property and start with a small single-family home? Where are you? So we need to explore this. I think I would love to be able to somehow train my 20 agents, 25 agents, 30 agents to always invest from the ground up, have that philosophy so that we can impact not just the people that come to Araya, not just the people that come to Reggie, but the people that ever interact with. TK and with the world, right? Mm-hmm. If we all imagine the wealth that we would create if the Robs and the Oralias and all the other agents that now are doing the same philosophy mm-hmm. in our training in their own lives, so we have to be able to do it for ourselves sure. first, first. first before we can teach it. 100%. Do you agree? Yeah. Uh, because it's easier to to explain. And I am very honest with them. I don't intimidate them by telling them that now I have twenty thousand or twenty five thousand residual income every month. You know, I start you know. From the ground up, and I tell them about my first four unit in the jungle and how that helped me pay for my mortgage mm-hmm. and start that way. So I would love to be able to say that the TK's legacy, that's what I call it, mm-hmm. the TK's legacy carries on. It branches off in lots of different areas. Okay,
1: so the mental leap. Let's talk about the mental leap that you made in your mind. Because there was a a point where you could have just been satisfied with your units that you had. And then at some point you said, I need to make this mental leap. Or maybe it just happened automatically. Like what gave you the confidence to be able to go from a 3 million to a
0: did you ever become a partner in a bigger project? Yes. Yeah, so we've okay. become partners in a bigger project. And I became partner of a big project in Mexico. That's my biggest investment. Mm. But I think you grow it mentally because you see the numbers. When you sit down and you that, I think that shift changed in my brain when I saw that. The same 500000 that took me to buy a 3000000 million. Let's say I come to you now, Rob, and I say, mm. Rob... There's a $20 million strip shopping center that's capping at 7%. Yes, there are risks involved. What if we have vacancies? But let's limit the risk. Instead of just four of us buying that 20000000 million, let's make it eight of us. Or let let's make it eight of us and come down with a bigger down name so that we are now not cash flowing at a 6% or 8%, but we're cash flowing at a 10 or 11 Even if we have... 10% vacancy, 15% vacancy, we're still going to break even. Even if we have 20% vacancy, we're still going to break. Even so that we limit the risk. So I think once you start analyzing things at that level, minimizing the risk, your mindset changes because now the risk on is on you. I mean.
1: Right? Which is so interesting because when you start going and buying bigger assets, you're creating more equity in that process, right? Yes. And you're shifting the risk you're uh, spreading the risk.
0: Not shifting the risk, spreading the risk. Yes, not only are you spreading the risk, you're also helping people develop. What someone asked me is like, Do you see these partners as clients? And I said, No. The client aspect of it happens organically. You can't look at a person and think, I'm gonna make money off of them. You've got to think, How am I gonna help them acquire wealth? How am I gonna help them become homeowners? The motive cannot be The finance, it could be the, it's the consequence of your actions. And once you have that mindset, things kind of fall in place organically. They really do. I always tell my agents, do it for the best interest of the client. The rest will pay you back. It will take care of itself. The, The rest will take care of itself. It really does. And I think when you organically think that way, it just, things happen.
1: Let's end on this. Tell me about this project that you have in Mexico. You said that's a big project, right? Yes. How did you get involved in that
0: project? In 2008, when they moved my chase, I decided that I needed to do something. Right? Real estate was horrible in the United States, and I was struggling. And I, for some reason, I was not able to tap into the REOs. I did some short sales, but the REOs were—we didn't have them in our office. So, Reggie, my husband, said, I'm going to focus on short sale scenarios. And he became the short scenario expert. And I took my CIPS designation and started getting my feet wet. My first listing was in Aquepos in Costa Rica.
1: Oh, it's so cool. What CIP designation is what?
0: Certified international property specialist. Got it. Okay. So, so your
1: first deal was in Costa Rica.
0: Yes, it did it. my first listing. The first was list. in Costa Rica. My
1: sister's a Tika.
0: Oh no, yeah, I did it. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. So my first listing, it, it didn't sell. My first listing was in Costa Rica and it was an eleven million dollar parcel in the uh, southern part of Costa Rica in Iquepo. But that that opened a full new horizon for me because kept me motivated. It kept me energized. It it, it it made real estate without borders for me. Yes, Reggie was focusing and carrying the office and you know, managing the real estate property. And it gave me that opportunity to go branch out into other horizons. So that's what I did. And I think it's destiny or grace or gift or I don't know, somehow life aligns these people with the same mindset and in your life. And I found a human being that I admire just as much as I admire TK in a project in Mexico. He's a very successful developer and he's an engineer by trade. And he was starting with the vision of developing sustainable. Now we're talking about two eight, mm-hmm. where sustainable was not that sure Sustainable, eco-friendly development in the peninsula. They call it Isla de la Piedra, but it's actually a peninsula in Mexico. And it's 14 miles of uninterrupted beach. 136 hectares of undeveloped virgin land. It's gorgeous the way it is. Jaime Lerner was the Brazilian architect that did the master plan. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Jaime Lerner was recognized. He died a few months back, a few months ago. But um, Jaime Lerner is the Brazilian architect that was recognized by the United Nations as the number one architect that humanity has given us. He was the um, governor of Paraná and president of Curitiba. He did a lot of infrastructure rezoning and creating systems that cleaned the waters in Curitiba. And he did a lot for eco-friendly developments. He's done master plans all over the world, in Africa. He did some in Punta Cana. And it just happened that this development that I was introduced to for me to market in the States and help train agents in Mexico. That, that was my, I was going to be the uh, director of sales that was my position in 2008 and I was introduced to all of it and again I think a lot of people ask me have you made a lot of money in the international?" I say I have made more money than anywhere else and they say really you've taken cash and I said no but what they've given me is priceless. you cannot put a price to the knowledge that I gained, the currents of the wind to do. Yeah, you've become valuable. It's
1: actually an important lesson, I think, for people to understand that That when I look at kind of the trajectory of what's happened over the last 30 years with TK, was that you value knowledge above all else. It wasn't about making money. It was about the knowledge that you could gain from somebody like TK. And the money is just a byproduct of that knowledge. You then ride it, right, because you need to apply knowledge for it to actually work. People often over, like, they underestimate the value of just having a discussion like we're having today, a cup of coffee with somebody, just opens up your mind. It's one of the reasons why we launched Grid Talk, right, on this Grid Investor Podcast, because relationships and discussions and just overall conversations with the right person changes the trajectory of their life. And so what I hear you saying is that you've become valuable and you genuinely become interested in this right and you don't know how it's going to end up 10 years from now 15 years from now but one you're having fun yeah like you're having
0: yeah oh i'm loving
1: it Uh, two you probably get access to very interesting people that help you
0: grow as a person. You. Look, you're talking about heavy lunch. I've had dinner with a couple times with Jamie Lerner. I've been in his office in Brazil, I sat with his architect, I've seen how they developed the master plan. He's explained to me a whole bunch of systems that I would have never had access to if I didn't involve myself in it. Yeah. And that to me is a whole level of yeah, life. It's a whole other level. It's a whole different level of life. Yeah. It has nothing to do with money. It's I am ever grateful for that opportunity. I am ever grateful to have been able to shake hands with him and for him to make a joke and say that the next international port in Mexico should be called Porto Aurelia. Yeah. You know? <laughs> awesome. You know, how do you put a price tag to you that? Can't.
1: Well, Aurelia, thank you so much for sharing time with me today. I appreciate
0: it. Thank you for the opportunity. I love to hear your story. I'm just as impressed about you and who you are as a whole. So now you know more than you ever thought about (laughs) myself, but we must have this one where you tell me your story. Okay, fair enough. Promise? Promise. Gracias, hermano.